Seriously, there is not an unlimited amount of love in the world. It's rare. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Crema. Hi, everybody. TGIF, glad to be with you. I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. We also have the pleasure of a Friday, as we usually do, almost always do, of working with our producer, bad boy, Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today, sir? Doing awesome! It's big time. It's go time. It's what we do. Super Bowl. Super Bowl, it's the big game. You can't say uh, no. Super Bowl. Yes, I can. Look, that's who <laughs> I'm going for. That's who I'm we'll going for. Right off the airwaves. Right here. <laughs> the Super Bowl. Kansas City and Philadelphia, a couple of number one seeds. Any predictions, Benny? Philadelphia all the way, because my guy right here, Gardner Minshew, he's a coog. He's with Philadelphia. And so a uh, color of the teammates, too. So I'm going to go with them. Okay. okay. Fantastic. Okay. This is uh, quite the august group I'm with here because uh, we have Wazoo, Washington State University represented. Suzanne went to Northwestern. And our guest today, our honored guest, Catherine Alice, is a Vanderbilt lady. She Ooh. went to Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I went to Cal State Fullerton, which, and I was in the same graduating class as Kevin Costner, if that counts for anything. But Today, we're going to talk about something regardless of your alma mater or whether or not you even have an alma mater. And I'm sick and tired of the jokes because I went to UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, back in the days when Jerry Tarkanian and the running rebels roamed the earth there. And I'd have people ask, uh, do you have like slot machines in the classrooms? And I go, yes. And every lecture comes with a two drink minimum. Yeah. So that's when you really enjoy your college years. <laughs> of course, Wazoo is pretty much alcohol free as usual. Of course so. <laughs> we are. Of course. You didn't know. What what a good time. We're going to have some highbrow conversation today on the subject of love. Catherine Alice teaches and writes breakthrough material in the arenas of dating and love. Her approach stresses awareness and faith and this positive up. The outlook has helped many singles enjoy their unattached status, and thousands go on to find love. Catherine served as the director for the Agape Spiritual Center's crisis support team for six years, and Agape is where she's based as a religious science practitioner, a spiritual counselor, and a member of the clergy. Her book, Love Will Find You, Nine Magnets to Bring You and Your Soulmate Together, was published in the year that we started our show, 2007. She lives in California with her soulmate, John, and we are bringing her back for another Valentine's appearance. She is an annual person on our show. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Catherine. Good to have you with us today. Thank you, Suzanne and Gary. So nice to be back with y'all. Y'all, that's it. I love you. We're going to be that way about it, Catherine. When you were going, when you were a Vandy girl, let me tell you that I don't know what the traffic was like in and around Nashville at that time, but holy cats. We'll tell you about 2023. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm going there in about a week, so I'm glad to know that. Um, you know, in those days, you mainly were on campus walking around to nearby businesses. And so I don't remember the traffic being that bad, but I know it can be. 
Were you guys there recently? Yes, we were there in January last month trying to get home from Chicago. And Nashville was one of those places that was a big old fat bottleneck. In addition to Atlanta, there's one for the ages. There, we don't even want to talk about Atlanta. People usually advise. And if yeah. you're ever driving in and around Atlanta, don't. it's too late because you're already in that mess. But we're planning to go anywhere near Atlanta. The idea is to go around Atlanta, not through, unless you have some specific purpose for doing so, because you're going to be pretty much in a parking lot. Yeah, Maybe, it's the, yeah. the traffic is so bad there. I'm going to Atlanta as well. I'm kind of doing a little Southern tour myself next week. And um, and so, yeah, we I think usually you try to go around if you can. So Yeah, uh, I only have uh, one word, yuck. <laughs> yuck. <laughs> traffic is not fun and, and you guys are probably not used to it anymore. Like those of us who live in a big city. That's true. That's true. We opened the show today with a quote from Sex in the City, and that is, love is rare. I wanted to ask you, Catherine Alice, do we actually need a Valentine's Day? <laughs> Some people celebrate it. Many can't wait till it's just over. What do you think about that? Probably not. It was invented by Hallmark cards, by a greeting card company to sell <laughs> greeting cards, you know, and now it's become a very big industry with flowers right. and gifts and dinners out. Yep. Um, and usually, honestly, the people who care most are the ones who don't have a Valentine and stress out about it are the ones kind of newly dating who they worry, you know, are they going to give me a good enough Valentine? Are they going to honor it? Or are they going to forget it? you know, that, that kind of thing. And so it, it seems to be a source of stress more than it does of actually love because those of us in a good relationship and a soulmate relationship, we kind of have Valentine's Day all the time. We don't need it that much. So I do think things need to be celebrated and we definitely celebrate ourselves. But um, yeah, I get concerned. I always want to help people who may not have the best Valentine's Day because they are single and lonely or they feel some kind of lack about it, you know? I, you know, I am really glad that you said that because that was not the answer I was expecting. I thought you were going to say, yes, we need a Valentine's Day to celebrate <laughs> love. But you said, no, if you have your soulmate, then every day is a celebration. And, you know, it just, uh, I think it makes people feel bad more than it makes them feel good. So it, I, uh, I, yeah, you. it really does. And I'm always trying to make people feel better. I have one of my most popular videos on YouTube is about what to do in Valentine, on Valentine's Day if you're single, um, just because it it is such a source of stress and negative feelings. Yeah. How come I don't have a Valentine? Of course, personally, I do. But I mean, I can understand yeah. why single people say, you know, where's mine? How, how, how come I don't have one? And that brings exactly. up the drop that we use. Yeah, you know, we Right. It's rare. It's rare. Well, so I'm hoping that Catherine Alice will be a supply cider because when you consider this notion that love is rare, that's that goes from cynicism to despair in about two and a half seconds. Because if love is rare in your life, you may not know how to look for it. You may not recognize when it's available to you, or you may turn aside. And haven't we all done this? Turn away someone who might have been a wonderful partner for you, whether short term or long term, but you said no in one form or another and thus held yourself back from the experience of love. Yeah, well, I don't I take issue with love as rare uh, because I see it every day in my work. I feel lucky because 
I'm a conduit to help people get together, you know, and help them get over what you're talking about, which are blocks and delays to love. Um, and so I feel lucky because I'm swimming in a world of love, of happy couples coming together and making a life together. And I have that in my own life, as I know you guys do. And so I don't like to think it's that rare. You know, you may remember my Southern saying, there's a lid for every pot. And so that my belief is everybody gets love. I mean, yes, you're right. Some people hold it back. You know, there's a, a whole avoided tendency with some people, but that can be healed and gotten over. You know, I, I say a lid for every pot all the time uh, <laughs> because you, you see people that are, are together and have found their mates and mm-hmm. sometimes they just seem like an odd pair, but there is a lid for every pot. And so, you know, there is something about the other person where they are vibrating at the same frequency or they just, you know, have something that really draws them together. There's this idea of insanity, doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. And, you know, when when we do, when we have those patterns built into our lives, and it, it may even be patterns that are from our family, things that we grew up with, things that they grew up with. Well, it was always like that. My grandmother was like that. My great grandmother was like that. How do you break those patterns, whether they're your own from your own lifetime or, or you have adopted certain non-functioning ways over, over many generations. I mean, how do you break that in order to stop being insane about your relationships and get the right one? Yeah, well, it takes some doing, it it takes a conscious effort for sure. Um, And I, the way I work is usually I start from the inside out, you know, it's always an inside job. So I use guided meditations and also some exploration, journaling, writing down, well, what is the pattern? What am I seeing in my life that's happened and why, you know, how have I contributed to this and what do I want? You know, we always want to get to the bottom line is what is intention do we want to set? What do we want? We write that down. And, um, and then we have to do something differently, clearly, because like you said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So ultimately, it does come down to doing something differently. But the only way to really untangle a pattern and change it is to look, where did I get this from? You know, did I get it from my mom and my grandmother? And why did they have it? And how could it apply to my life? Because it's not getting me what I want. Um, so it's, it can be a, a a gradual disentanglement. Usually it's usually a process more than just a one-off aha moment. Uh, Catherine, you sound like you're reading my notes for today. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. I put on here, you know, we get entangled and we really have to work through it. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Gary and I have talked about at various times that uh, we met in middle age and we had to work through our, um, our bad thinking in order to be with each other. We had to do our own work. And I, I talk about this a lot is that mm-hmm. that inside job, you know, what does that involve? I know somebody right now who is doing the work of the in the inside out work. And after having, you know, a few relationships, none of which really worked out on a permanent basis, 
She mm-hmm. is doing the inside work. And I and I'm saying, go, girl, go, go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What needs to be done. You're looking at your life. You're acting differently. You're being differently. You're doing different things, which all seem strange because they're breaking the patterns, breaking the mm-hmm. patterns of her life. And in breaking up those patterns, I think that she will meet somebody who will be very uh, satisfying and happy to be with when she does this work on herself. And I know a- another friend of mine who has struggled in several marriages and the problem has always been the same. So mm-hmm. when you say a lid for every pot, you know, you you have to, you have to be attracting the kind of person that you want to have not attracting the kind of person you don't want and choosing because not just attracting because when you're magnetic you'll get all kinds of stuff but then you got to pick and choose and a lot of people for let me give you one example i have dealt with a lot of avoidant personalities you know people have avoidant attachment and they will always pick someone unavailable because it keeps them unavailable they don't have to really commit into going into an actual relationship you know and getting that close because it might be scary to them and so the only way to really break a pattern like that is to pick differently for one thing and and go screaming if they, they come across a, an unavailable guy, you know, quit falling for it, quit choosing that and look for somebody who's available and then work through some of the fears that keep love at bay. One of the things that bedevils me in my conversations over many, many years with uh, men and women alike is that. If you're looking for love, are you really looking? There's looking and then there's perceiving. How many times have you had among your many clients, Catherine, people, regardless of gender, people who will say, I just can't seem to find love. But what they find are if they find relationships at all, because there's a lot of loneliness out there. But people will get into relationships that are entirely wrong for them, actually harmful, but it follows a pattern of choosing someone who has perhaps addiction issues or they suffered abuse as a child. They witnessed it at home and they are reenacting that pattern. That's a lot to work on, a lot of homework, but it doesn't mean that you are hopeless, that you have no chance. Right, exactly. And um, you're, you're right. Usually people who, who pick something that's going to harm them, they had it in their past. They internalized it. And it's all they know. And sadly, they equate love with that. One of the big things I did in 2022 is I did a new and very, very deep course for some of the people I work with called Emotional Healing. And um, it went into the depths and why that happened. And it led people out of it, how to get rid of it, how to start choosing healthy love and not finding destructive love attractive because on some level they find it attractive. And so, yeah, it's a lot of healing. It's very deep healing, but it's worthwhile because I think everything can be healed, anything and everything. And as we do, our level of attraction goes up, up, up. So we're attracting much higher level relationship and we're able to accept it and choose it and be attracted to it rather than be attracted to the things that will hurt us. Wow. I really like that. I mean, Gary and I have kind of um, talked over uh, various times uh, about people we know, especially women 
who were attracted to the bad boy, attracted to the, you know, I don't care about anything, just going to ride away on my bike. And, and, um, and so like that idea about, about being attracted to something that is not good for you, that man, if you could just throw a red flag up at that point, um, you know, there's yeah, well, so- that's when we need to seize everything and just start working on it because it's a self-esteem issue. You know, when you have healthy self-esteem, you would never let anything like that into your life. And the minute it might rear its head, you're out of there. You know, that's healthy self-esteem. And, uh, and so at that point, the only thing to do is a reset and start working on this. And again, from the inside out, not working mm-hmm. on the other person, working on yourself. The other person is just holding up a mirror, but right. like the other person needs to change and I can just keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You, you need to change your own vibration there. And um, what, what kind, when you're talking to people, how do you suggest that they begin to change their own vibrations? Uh, well, there's kind of a process. The most basic thing that I work with people on is how they talk to themselves. A lot of people with bad self-esteem who might not only attract, but choose someone who's going to hurt them. And anyway, emotionally, God forbid, physically, they don't, you know, they don't think much of themselves. And so they denigrate themselves. They call themselves stupid and idiot. And they've internalized that. Somebody told them that when maybe when they were little, they internalized it. Now they don't need anybody outside of themselves. They victimize themselves. And so the first thing is stop the negative talk. Then it does not enough just to stop it. You have to release it. And then we have to replace it and start saying nicer things to oneself. Um, in the, you know, usually studies show that if you use the word you and say, you know, hey, if you're talking to yourself, hey, Suzanne, you're doing great. You know, until it becomes a habit. Sometimes I use affirmations with people for that. Uh, and then we usually do some journaling about what they have been attracting, um, why it wasn't good enough. Would they let their daughter be in a relationship like that? You know, inevitably, no. Um, and, and the more they realize the downside of this relationship, the yucky part, they can't romanticize it anymore. It quits being attractive. And, uh, no release really sticks without a replace. So once we start releasing, being attracted to that, uh, finding it appealing in any way, we have to replace it. At first, it's just a vision of a functional love. You know, someone who adores them, would it hurt a hair on their head, how that would be treated. And even looking for models out in the world of healthy couples who respect one another and adore one another and uh, wouldn't have this low level harm happening. And there was talk a moment ago about self-esteem. I really, when I discuss self-esteem as a concept, Catherine, I tend to be extra careful because what I've found in my own life and in the lives of people I've known for over the years, Mm -hmm. self-esteem can be a snare and a delusion. And here's why I say that. If you respect yourself, you're going to do the healthiest thing in your own enlightened self-interest. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's, I think of it as a very good thing. Self-esteem can become a little bit like, and here I'm just going to stretch my way into an analogy. It becomes something of a bank account, an emotional bank account. If I'm feeling a lot of self-esteem and I ask myself, why am I feeling so good? Well, I got uh, an A on my final in a class that was tough and I feel esteem for that. 
I have uh, friends who, you know, celebrate me in this way or another. They like me. I like them. So I have relatively high self-esteem. But when, and that's like somebody making a deposit into mm-hmm. your emotional bank account. You're getting rich. All right. Fat city. What happens, however, when people criticize you or denigrate you or slander you in some way? When they do that and you feel less than, you feel attacked, you feel besieged, your self-esteem tends to go down. You wonder if maybe your critics might be right. And if you do that, that is the world, as it were, or people in your world withdrawing from that bank account of self-esteem. To be emotionally independent and to be fully mature, in my opinion, requires that we think well of ourselves and hold ourselves accountable throughout life, regardless of others' opinions of us. I agree. And and that's such a good point, Gary. I was hoping you were getting there because the fact is that if you look at people with healthy self-esteem who never had it rocked, which are few and far between, I look at my kids because I've, I've used a very different parenting style than I had. You know, I had to build mine up and it can get knocked here and there, but they never question themselves. It doesn't matter if somebody says something bad to them. Like one of my kids said, you know, some girl broke up with him and he was like, well, her loss. And he got over it really quickly because he was never damaged in that way. Right. And so people with healthy self-esteem are immune to the outside stimuli either way. They just feel good about themselves and they're not going to let either a deposit or a withdrawal affect them either way. You know, they're just solid. They know they're important. Those of us who had to fight back from bad self-esteem were questioned as children by authority figures in school, maybe parents, family. And so we started questioning ourselves. And so building back that is quite a process. And I love looking at people who never, never had any confidence taken away from them, you know, who are just solid because they're a good model for those of us who are still building up our, our, our self-esteem. And if you model that enough, in a way you get to be a change agent in your neighborhood, in your little sector of society. Mm -hmm. And I have seen people who showed their own self-respect, their non-reliance on the favor or the judgments of others become leaders because they acted like leaders. They acted like people who were immune, relatively speaking. Nobody likes to be criticized harshly. I mean, you some people cope with it a lot better than others, but they seem to be rather immune to the slings and arrows that we all get in life anyway by just being out there. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so true. I, I believe it was Terry Cole Whitaker who coined the phrase, what you think of me is none of my business. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting if you look at it from both ways. If you are being um, put down in any way, it, it's good to rise above that and and say, well, you know, that's what you think. That's not what I think. But it also means the other way. And that is when people are praising you for one way or another, not to let that go to your head to such an extent that you you think that's the truth or you rely upon that. You have to know yourself pretty well. You have to know what your talents and strengths are and maybe what your weaknesses are. Yeah. And just being immune to all of it, you know, kind of being imperturbable, unbothered by the bad stuff. And not too pumped up by the good stuff is a measure of very healthy self-esteem. It's true. And I love it. 
I just saw this interesting study. I deal with a lot of app dating and online people online dating. And it kind of upset me. I have always worked with people on maintaining their confidence in the face of bad app dating results, which happen a lot. And I saw this study that showed that the algorithms for most app dating are really bad. They're very unlikely to to send you many suitable matches because their algorithms are kind of messed up. They have a vested interest in stringing you along and not getting a match too early because then you'll quit paying them, right? And people are taking it, so many singles are taking it to heart and thinking it's them and having it rock their self-esteem rather than realizing it was the app, it was the setup, it was the bad matching that was the culprit. It's not you, it's not your issue that nobody's messaging you back, you know? And so our self-esteem, particularly with being single, is, it can be kind of fragile. You know, you're opening yourself to love, you're vulnerable and uh, and it's so it's something that I deal with a lot and try to set people straight to not let things so easily rock them and rock their their self image. I can see somebody going into uh, having an appointment with a clinical psychologist and telling the therapist, but when they ask him, "How can I help you? Why are you here today? I have bad algorithms." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's right. Well, then they don't even know, you know, that that's what's going on. Well, that's right. They don't. A more obvious get one good thing. match. Can't get one date after eight months on this app. You know, I'd it's not you. It. It's them. Yes. Well, in addition to which, what people really get annoyed about is that uh, they'll go on these uh, dating websites. They sign up. There's their subscribers, and then when the day or the night comes and they meet this person who sounds like a dream online. There's too much false advertising that goes on out there. I don't want to see a picture of a woman. I've never done any of the dating apps at all. I just put myself out there and let's see what happens. So I'm hardly anyone to consult. But I have heard from many people who get frustrated and they talk about it. I went, I met this guy for dinner and I, when he walked in, I didn't even recognize him. And then I, you're Pete, and he's like, you're Sally, and they're looking at images that were flattering at one time, but don't reflect the current reality. That's a real kick in the butt. Yeah, well, um, there are estimates that over 50% of profiles have an element of deception, you know, from a catfish where somebody's spamming and um, scamming and trying to get money all the way to what you're talking about, you know, minor deception that the information doesn't match your match the current reality, you know, and that is definitely a problem. It's a lot of weeding through people. I think there are better ways to do it than there are now. Um, and, and perhaps I don't know how you would hold people to a standard other than maybe a live picture that's necessary at the time you create the profile, you know, something like that could work. But yeah, you know, it's it's very true and it can be daunting. That's why I, you know, the old fashioned way, the way you guys met is not a bad way to go in, in terms of when I work with people, sure, get online, be on an app, meet people that way because you know they're single, you know they're in your area, but find a couple places where good singles frequent. You know, it could be like a club or a meetup or um, some kind of sport 
or, or you know, gathering of some kind, community, something like that, which is how you guys met in a community. I met my husband through mutual friends, which is one of the best ways to meet people because they're kind of pre-qualified. But I always ask people, please don't rely only on the apps. You're relying on people you don't know to, to serve up a good match that may never happen. You need to get out into the world and just interact with people who, um, you know, a good pool of possible love interest. It's always good to know with the help of a few of your friends, it build your confidence to know that your future mate has been pre-vetted. I really like that. That's, well, that's no, seriously. <laughs> well, that's when I was dating my, um, my now husband, um, you know, I was already kind of falling for him. He was everything I wanted. And then, um, you know, one of my friends pulled me aside and said, John is a really good guy. You're in good hands. And that meant a lot to me, you know, because they'd known him for years. That point taken. And that that is an excellent way to strategize your search for love. We are talking with, I hesitate to call her the love guru because that was a big flop of a movie and nobody wants to be associated <laughs> with that. So why don't we give the name of her book? Love Will Find You. Nine magnets to bring you and your soulmate together. And there is some magnetism involved, is there not? The author and our honored guest of the hour is Catherine Alice. We're going to continue this discussion on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell, and we will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detail in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Catherine Alice for her pre-Valentine's visit with tips on how love will find you. On Saturday, Mark Anthony, psychic explorer and author of The Afterlife Frequency and other works, makes a compelling case for the survival of consciousness after death. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. 
Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Catherine Alice. Catherine Alice is making her 15th appearance with us today. And um, she's been on once a year for about 10 years at Valentine's Day because we like to talk about love on Valentine's Day, even though uh, it's just a big old made up holiday by Hallmark. So there you have it. <laughs> uh, Catherine, if people want to get your book, which is now 16 years old, it's as old as the Manson Mitchell show, um, or originally published in 2007, or if they want to see what you're doing, where you're going to be, uh, how they can connect with you, maybe get into a class or something else. What what are the ways in which our listeners could do that? Well, the book you can find anywhere. It's evergreen at this point because it just keeps on selling and selling. People need it. You know, they so many people want to find love. And so it, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, many bookstores. Um, it's all over the place. And my website is um, katherinealice.com. So if you could spell my name, you can find me. Um, I'm pretty Googleable too. Catherine is K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Interesting because we have several Catherines in our family and they all spell it that way. They do. They oh, good. do. I love they it. Do. As a matter of fact, my aunt's first and second name is Alice Catherine spelled that ah! way. And oh so my gosh, I love it. I know. And so she's uh, she loves it when you're on because it's her name backwards. <laughs> well, hi there, backwards me. <laughs> I love um, it. All right, KatherineAlice.com and look to see what is there and um, and get the book if you're interested in knowing about nine magnets to bring your you and your soulmate together. And, and you have some great stories in there about how to do that. And definitely some tips and tricks. And um, I wanted to ask you about the intelligence of the heart. I've, I've been hearing things from scientists saying that the intelligence may not, may not necessarily reside in the brain. The intelligence may actually reside in the heart. Do you agree with that kind of thinking? I do on so many levels. You can't even imagine, you know, how I work, personal experience and research. Um, research shows that the biggest measure of success is not just like intelligence in your brain, but actually emotional intelligence, which has to do with coming from your heart first, you know? And um, so from that angle, you know, research kind of backs that notion up that you, you'll do better if you were in league with your heart. I have, um, I use heart intelligence in every guided meditation that I've ever done. And I have a real best-selling one on the releasing a person downloadable on Audible. Like that just keeps selling. It's sold for how many years now? Almost 20. Because it, what I do is I put people into their heart at the beginning of every guided meditation. We come out of your heart. You open your heart. And that's where true magnetism comes from. True healing is just, you know, dealing with the heart. On a, another level, and this is weird, is um, I, when I used to do crisis support, we would visit people and we had um, passes like into the ICU just because people needed pastoral visits. And, um, and so I have done a guided meditation with somebody hooked up to a heart machine and it is cr crazy to watch what happens to the heart because I, because I use love and I'm an agent of love. 
I, they're, they're, um, they're hard. The EKG starts smoothing out. They're not as many jagged edges. I've watched blood pressure go down just off a heart opening guided meditation. And so I have so much proof from so many angles about heart intelligence and how effective and real it is. Gary and I have been watching Mad About You from the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a show I had never seen. I don't know what I was doing when it was on or if I was watching <laughs> something else, but I never saw a single episode. And he got the entire box set and we've been watching it. And And last night we watched the finale of season four. And at the at the end of, of season four in Mad About You, there the finale is that the um, the couple has grown apart. Uh, Jamie and um, and Paul have have grown apart. She's doing she's working really hard, and he wins an award. She's not available to go with him, and so he's flirting with another woman at the bar, and they go take a walk together, and he feels very guilty about it. But in the meantime. Jamie has received a kiss from her boss on the lips and she feels guilty about it. So the finale had to do with their strongly being so disappointed in each other, separating, going and staying with other people, didn't want to talk to each other, didn't want to see each other. And the question for this finale is, can a broken heart come back from a disappointment stronger because, and they didn't even have, you know, a real get naked kind of affairs. They were just attracted to other people. And Mm -hmm. so, so there was this really broken heartedness and it was a very, very emotional couple of episodes that we were watching. They were crying. I was crying. I mean, it was it was terrible to see two people so in love, so upset, so broken, so broken hearted. And at the very, very, very end of it, in the last few seconds, they were telling each other that they really did love each other. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm thinking that this is more akin to real life. Like you don't ride off into the sunset with your soulmate and never have a problem. There are problems that come up in relationships and probably one of the worst problems is now being attracted to other people. And what do you do about it? What is, what is, how do you handle in the people that you've talked to the, the couples that actually have a crisis and then come back together again is it Mm -hmm. is it weaker or is it stronger for having survived a crisis well it's usually stronger because people have had a better realization within themselves and then also they have if you come back from something like that you have new coping skills and a higher level of relationship intelligence as well um, I think it's not a reasonable expectation that you're never going to be attracted to somebody. It's like saying you're never going to smell or appreciate another flower in your lifetime. It's just not reasonable. Of course, you're going to continue to appreciate beauty and the beauty in others. And I, I, that's a, you know, it's a reasonable expectation, but, but you've committed to each other 
you want to be with each other and nobody else in, in a special way. I do find it to be easier when you're with the right person to navigate challenges that I've seen. Some Sometimes people are just not the right fit and they have bigger problems than people who are the right fit and they're really committed to keeping it together and they want to. But yes, I've noticed that with everybody that I've worked with, it's fun because it means you've been with them a while, you know, you got beyond just dating different people, serial dating and relationships that break up after a couple of years. Um, and so as I work with people, it inevitably makes them stronger unless they split up, you know, and usually if they split up, they just weren't right together. Yeah, I could I could see that you could be so hurt that you just never want to see the person again. Even if you do love them, I just I, I can't take that much hurt. I can't take that much. Yeah, but hurt is is an interpretation. You know, it's an expectation of the other person to act a certain way. None of us are perfect. We all have our moments, you know, as we all well know. Um, and so if I were working with people, I'd say, why, why did that hurt you? How did you interpret it that it was hurtful? You know, if you, you look at that book, which is one of the books I recommend called the four agreements, one of the agreements is to not take anything personally, even in an intimate relationship with another human being who presumably is your soulmate. And so I work with them on redefining it, redefining expectations, reminder that that person is doing the best they can. They don't usually have a really harmful intent. Um, It's all about their own stuff, usually, and um, kind of owning that and not letting it affect one that much is pretty important. When I was a freshman in college, I was taking a world history course. And of all things to remember, I just I just thought it was funny and quirky. And I remember it all these years. Mm-hmm. They found a hieroglyph that a young man, and if you're going to go around putting hieroglyphs on pyramids, you probably have some standing in life back in ancient Egypt, <laughs> you know, just like graffiti. Nevertheless, this young man expressed his happiness in a hieroglyph, and it was translated as when I am with her, I am happy even without beer. <laughs> that, you, that's an actual hieroglyph. You can go look at it yourself. Go rent a camel and go out and check this out. So with that being the case, I thought there's a universality to what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Love is it. eternal. Romantic love is, love eternal. is eternal. Soulmates are eternal. And so too is the struggle and the self-definition and the self-doubt from that day to this. I'm talking about the days of the pyramids. And here in 2023, in the common era, same issues, same emotions, the same broken hearts, there, but with different faces. The situations change, societies change in certain ways, but that basic human need for love and acceptance and romance and sexual gratification that is built in and i don't think that will ever evolve out of us and frankly i hope it doesn't it won't it you know it works on so many levels one is the most basic level as you know the part of us that are animals continuation of the species you know so there's a vested interest in couples coming together staying together to raise the kids and i feel like that's why evolution ensures there really is a lid for every pot because people are not all attracted to the same person um studies have shown 
even if everybody else thinks you're unattractive, there will be a couple of people who think you're wildly beautiful and want to be with you and just cannot get over you. Right. And so, and, and some, nobody can agree on what's objectively beautiful, right? Because we all have different preferences. So from that level, love is baked in from a spiritual and emotional level. It's kind of one of the basic human needs. Um, and it's the most transcendent place that you can be, in my opinion, and from what I've seen. And so that's no, no wonder somebody put it on a hieroglyph on a pyramid. You know, it, it's just the best feeling in the world being in love. And walking through life with someone you love. You know, it doesn't only apply to the visual of thinking that your beloved looks beautiful. They also smell better. They do. One (laughs) chemistry is one of the, it's not the only measure, but chemistry is one of them. And if you've ever had that experience of of like getting close, a little bit physical close with somebody where it's not right, it's like a big no. And then, you know, and then you can't wait to put your nose in the neck of the one you love and just sniff their scent. Like they just smell so good. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And, and it, it, I can laugh at it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. (laughs) That is that, that I was dating somebody and I had to give up this person because they smelled so bad to me and I Mm. couldn't even figure out what it was. I mean, was it the shampoo? Was it the soap? What was it? The body oils? What what was it? I never did figure it out. And I, it could just be their natural scent and they just, and it's not, I wouldn't feel guilty because sometimes it's just not right. And that's one of the signals is if they're repulsive to you and their smell you know, maybe their natural scent, it's, it's not them. It's, it's just the combination, you know, you're not right together. Somebody will think they smell like candy, you know, you didn't. Right. Right. So it it is all the senses. It's the visual Mm -hmm. sense. It's the Mm -hmm. olfactory sense. It may be the sound of their voice. You like the sound of somebody's voice better than somebody else, the sound of somebody else's voice. So it can really involve all of the senses as far as being uh, attracting uh, to somebody. Exactly. That's so right. It's just all built in and everything that you need is built into the relationship. I mean, nobody can be everything to you, but everything that you've wanted in terms of a solid partnership and romance and closeness. Uh, when, When we say misery loves company, does it look like love loves company too? It seems to from everything that I've seen, because I'm swimming in a world of love and soulmate love. And uh, it it does seem to foster more and more of it you get to and you know, it's the basis of my book and my work is law of attraction, attracting. And so when you're at that higher level, when you're in love, people see this phenomenon of not just love going well, but everything going well. And all of a sudden, they're attracting other happy couples to hang out with. And everybody around them is falling in love suddenly and finding their soulmate. And so it tends to be love is self perpetuating. And love loves love. So so I think that is something that does happen that I've seen. One of the pearls of wisdom that I got from you, Catherine, and I remind myself of it many times. You said this years ago. In fact, I think you said it also the last time you were with us. Confidence is the universal attractant. Mm-hmm. I think that is a fundamental truth. And I've wondered how might one apply that if you haven't had much luck with 
romance or you're pretty new to the game or pretty new to the game again after a divorce, whatever the circumstances might be. If there, it seems to me, and I don't know whether this is something that you can extrapolate or not, you be the judge there. But if someone has, for example, job confidence, they're a really good accountant, they're a really good teacher, whatever it happens to be, they're a really good cop on the beat. If you have confidence in yourself in one area of life, and usually we have some degree of confidence in more than one area, but at least one, if you have that, can you put yourself in the shoes of that successful you, the best you, and apply it to the search for romance? Because the argument would be, if you can be confident in one area of your life, don't assume that you would be excluded from other areas as well. If you're a confident person, you had to do that by going through the struggles, applying yourself, studying, practicing trial and error until you got to that place of confidence. If it worked for you on the job, why not in love? Exactly. Yeah. And I that we I use that with people. You know, if, if they've got it in one area, we can use it as a template for how you can be confident in love. And the more one believes oneself to be lovable and to be a catch, the more it's true and the better magnet, the more magnetic one is. So that's why, I mean, the reason I call it universal attraction is because if you look at research, as I mentioned before, we're all attracted to different things. There's no one size fits all except for confidence Everybody is attracted to someone who exudes confidence. And I don't mean bravado or ego. I mean true confidence because confident people are very accepting of themselves. And in that process, they put everybody around them at ease. We love to have you come on in this season of love. The American Heart Association also adopted the whole month of February for heart health. So um, in the waning minutes that we have, Catherine, I just wanted you to make a few recommendations because in your introduction, we were talking about how many singles can enjoy their unattached status and thousands go on to find love. So I wanted you to say a little bit about enjoying your unattached status and a little bit about what people can do if they would like to find their soulmate so that we're all celebrating around this artificial holiday called Valentine's day. <laughs> um, in terms of enjoying one's un uh, one's unattached status, it's very important to get happy alone, to enjoy one's own company. It's harder for extroverts to do. Um, but we begin by loving ourselves better and treating ourselves better and what we say to ourselves and how we even schedule out our life and what we demand of ourselves. And um, it's very important. There's a huge trend of people finding love when they're happiest alone, because it's a very magnetic place to be. Um, so accepting that these I'm single now, these are probably my last single days, but I'm going to live it up and enjoy my freedom and enjoy my own company and my own choices independently of another person. You know, that's good. Um, and then in terms of finding love, my work, you know, the book we've been talking about is a bestseller for many years. It's not a bad place to start. It's called Love Will Find You. I also um, suggest 
sending out a soul call, which is something I do in a meditation, but people could just even close their eyes right now and send out like a silent invitation to that person meant for you and just say, Valentine's, I'm sending you Valentine to come to me, an invitation, even though you're not here yet. That's part of what I do. And I do have the love club that's opening up again. We, we, we kind of, we discontinued it for many years, but people want to do my work and have a kind of a regular support throughout their dating life until they're, you know, settled. And so I, we have the love club opening back up uh, in mid-February, which is soon. Love club. Would they find that at CatherineAllis.com? Yes. Okay. I just found the events page. Good. The love club. I like that. This concept of treasure mapping is very interesting to me because I think that there is a lot of potential for success. I have actually heard of single women who either borrow or go to an antique store and get a wedding dress. They may actually buy their wedding dress, though I think (laughs) putting that on the line is a little extreme. But nevertheless, they will have all the accoutrement of a wedding of a woman about to be married. And they will put this around their home so that everywhere they look, there is the look and the feel of a married woman. And they swear by it. They do that. They believe in it. They accept it mentally as a mental equivalent of their own future life. And many, many times, an astonishing number of people actually get exactly what they were looking for or better. Their dreams are actually surpassed. So never give up on yourself. Never think that, well, that's for other people. I'm not lucky or I'm not the marrying kind or there's no one out there for me. If you talk like that to yourself, I can pretty well guarantee that your status quo is going to be your future as well. Yeah, very good point. I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, I'm sure you would have and you probably will. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty good. What do you like to do on Valentine's Day with John? Uh, We usually go out on a romantic date because we have kids. And so time alone is the best thing ever. We've been known to sneak away for a whole weekend, but um, (laughs) that's rare. So I think this one, it's on a Tuesday, which is a weeknight, school night, work work day, et cetera. I think we're just going to go out for a romantic dinner, maybe a movie or something like that. Give each other presents, Valentine's. And, um, and just enjoy each other because it's really fun. Once you have kids and stuff, it's really fun to remember when you're alone together, you still like each other. You know, it's, it's magic always happens when we're, we get time alone, which unfortunately, you know, we don't get all the time. Yes. And particularly uh, the Suzanne and, and I have no children, but if you do make that time for each other, because when the kids come along, romance doesn't have to die. I certainly hope that would not be the case. Well, date night is important. Date night is super important just to have that window with each other without all these other influences than the grind of even parenting and stuff like that. So agreed. You guys are lucky. I mean, <laughs> maybe I've been parenting too long, but just time yeah. alone, having all the time alone, that Here's sounds the- so fun. Thank you, Catherine, for joining us. Catherine Alice, her book, again, Love Will Find You. And we'll do this again next Valentine's Day. Thanks so much, Catherine. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And make sure at 1 o'clock Pacific, you're catching American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. Enjoy the Super Bowl weekend, everybody, game and all. 